Welcome to the Nerdaplexy Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. Thrill me. And because this is a spooky or spoopy episode, we also have our... (laughs) The spooky specter himself, the face of Dave. It's Dave. Funny as a crutch. So sit back, relax, and grab your slugs. (laughs) Grab your slugs. (laughs) As we dive into... As we slug this one down... Night of the Creeps. I called those things like 12 different things in my notes. I just called them brain slugs. Slugs, creeps, ooze. They're, hey, I don't know what they are, but I love to see those little guys squiggle. That's a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so this movie was released August 22nd, 1986, directed by Fred Decker, starring Jason Lively, Steve Marshall, and Jill Whitlow. So... Tom Atkins? Oh, and Tom Atkins, excuse me, yes. Oh, man, you got to get Tom Atkins. The worst part of every movie, Tom no, Atkins. Oh, no. When I'm going through, I make up a little dossier before I start taking my notes, and I just always pull the first three mm-hmm. names, Chris, JC, and Cynthia. And I was shocked when he showed up, and let me just say, he thrilled me when I first saw him on screen. Not me. He's not my guy. Name another movie he's in. Halloween 3. Halloween 3 is a bad movie. Not a good example. You you told me to name a movie and I did. But you can't name another one. I have seen a million. I guess I could pull up this video real quick. (laughs) We're playing the IMDB game with Tom Atkins. Let's see. This is his favorite movie that he did. That's the trivia I know. Oh, he's in The Fog. He's in My Bloody Valentine. Nice. Yeah, he's done a lot of horror movies. He's a ding-dang legend. Unfortunately, before I even noticed the credits, I wrote down, is that Dennis Farina? And it's not Dennis Farina. <laughs> I think I would be okay with that. Atkins and Farina, they could swap see. Dennis Farina and Tom Atkins are both in striking distance, which was filmed in Pittsburgh, our hometown. Hey. Yep, not, also, they were cops. He's a great cop. Great cop. Great flick. Great mustache. I'll go with the last one. He's a great, it's a great stash. That's not the movie we're talking about today. No, we are talking about the night of the creeps. So yes, Tom Atkins making an appearance all the cast here really putting on a show a lot of the names are sci-fi and horror directors the jill whitlow character is uh cynthia cronenberg so yeah there's lots of like horror movie stuff there's romero there's sergeant ramey detective cameron they're at corman university lots of little things one little bit of trivia before we get started i wanted to bring up is that fred decker when he was making this movie decided to cram in as many tropes as he possibly could into the movie. So that is kind of makes the movie make a little bit more sense if this is a first time watch. Mm -hmm. You guys had both seen this before, correct? Mm, No, not really. This was an on-demand special for me, um, but this is the first time in many years seeing this movie. This was a DVD rental for me back in the Hollywood video days, and it has Ah, the best cover art. I dropped it in the chat. It's the best cover art for any any of the movies we've watched so far. Oh, nice. Ooh, that's a good one. So good. Blank eyes, and the, the bloody corsage. 
It's a very like comic style. That would get people you would think in the seats. But uh, spoiler, this movie did not make a lot of money. It got me to rent it. That's kind of when it had its second resurgence in the DVD era. It did very well rental wise. It kind of grew to cult status, but uh, the, the original box office was not great. So we start off outside of Corman University in the 50s. Don't we start with the naked alien babies? We do. So these little guys, these little guys were supposed to be stop motion, but I guess Decker didn't like the way it was looking because the stop motion didn't look weird. So he wanted it to be like weird and off-putting. And so he was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's get some little people and put them in suits for this title sequence. And when the movie opened, the first shot you see of the alien in the crown burst into laughter. Mm-hmm. That was not what he was going for, but he also said actually that got everyone in the mood for what kind of movie they're about to see. So it like kind of worked. Yeah, a bunch of cute little ETs. Did you guys get the subtitles in English? The alien subtitle, they say, damn, blast the hatch now, and the experiment must not get off the ship. And they say the experiment must not get off the ship, like less than a frame before the thing is getting off of the ship. It's like completely gone. I watch with <laughs> subtitles. And the funny thing is, if you don't watch with subtitles on, it just keeps the alien subtitles on there in the alien exactly, yeah. thing. So you don't have any idea what they're saying. But they did add subtitles after the fact, which is really funny. I enjoy that because they're speaking an alien language and then they put a subtitle of the alien language on. I just think that's great. I thought it was a good bit. I thought I wasn't supposed to know what they said. Exactly. Those guys were adorable. When you saw their faces, it was super sharp teeth and kind of like doom demon kind of looking things. Impish. And just fully butt naked. They have technology and guns and they don't have any clothes. They don't have shame. That's a human thing. We can learn a little something from these aliens. They didn't have any uh, obvious generals. There might be a cloaca situation going on there, but I didn't see any. There might be. So, you know, let us know out there. It could be an alien thing, and it could be like the mouth eggs thing. There's a flag on the play. Number 69, face of Dave. Excessive ovipositor discussion. Two minutes and time out. First time. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are Trek fans, but the spaceship was actually later used in uh, Deep Space Nine. It did look familiar to me. Deep Space Nine is my favorite of the Trek series. That makes so much sense, Dave. That is a perfect summation of your character. That's on a nerd level. You say, like, I love Deep Space Nine. It's like, yep, that's it. Yeah, it's the hipster I love jazz, but for nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I only ever watched the original series, and I, I like it because it's more like of a popcorn show. Like a cereal, yeah. Right, and everybody seemed to love Next Generation because it's like a movie a week, basically. After season one. I don't know. I can't speak to it, but I did like the original series. I've seen a smattering of original series. I think I've seen all the movies, and I know all the guys. I know all the like the people just by osmosis over time. Well, yeah, just enough cultural reference. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen like more than three or four episodes total of any of them. We just lost a lot of cred, but luckily, hopefully gained enough whenever Dave said he liked Deep Space Nine. I like all the series except for Enterprise. <laughs> You lost a few people. I dig this. Nobody liked Enterprise. If somebody liked Enterprise, get at me. Is that the Scott Bakula one? Yeah, it's terrible. Scott Bakula destroyed the destroyed oh, it. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong yeah, with Scott no. Bakula. 
I just watched Cats Don't Dance with my kids the other day. Great film. Scott Bakula's a cat. There's nothing wrong with Quantum Leap. There is something wrong with Scott Bakula in Enterprise. Something went wrong. There is something wrong with Quantum Leap. It ends horribly. That's true. That show has an ending. Oh boy, does it. Oh boy. 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 In a way. It's a text ending that says, Sam never gets back home. <laughs> and he saved <laughs> and he saved his friend's wife. That's cool and all. Spoilers for the quantum leap, I guess. The experiment gets blasted out in the 50s, and then we see a nice black and white sorority row. I like that transition from the color and the aliens into the black and white. Fred Decker wanted to do the whole movie in black and white, and the compromise was that he could do the flashback sequence in black and white. But I think the black and white looked great. A lot of times it looks cheap, but I don't know if they just treated the film different or what, but I thought it looked really nice. I think the black and white was used to hide some of the cheap effects that they had in the beginning. And I think it added a lot of polish to what would have been really bad effects if they had it in color. This opening sequence looks great. It's kind of like a regular old slasher kind of thing with a personal connection. Mm -hmm. A young Tom Atkins, Detective Cameron. Pam has broken up with Tom Atkins' young character. And the one girl says on the phone that he's a cop. He has no future. I thought that was pretty grim. That's a kind of a career, isn't it? One of the three things kids pick whenever they're like in kindergarten. Steady job. It's a steady gig. And he became detective. He obviously was a career dude. He showed them despite what happens in the next five minutes of his life. And then they say, have you seen Plan 9 from Outer Space? Over the phone, too. So that must have been pretty new whenever this scene took place. I think at this time it had not come out. Really? Because it's like 1957. I think it came out the year later or something like that. I didn't catch that. But they were watching it on TV. Later in the movie, there's a nice callback. So there's a little scene here where they're on a lover's lane, and the cop comes by and says, there's a maniac on the loose. And then there's a meteorite, which, you know, obviously, is a jar full of slugs. So Johnny takes off with Tom Atkins' gal. Pam. Pam, yes, and stops and he's going to get out and investigate. And there's a great moment from a line reading from that actor, Pam, when he says, just stay here. I'm going to go check it out. And she goes, you're kidding, right? (laughs) The most realistic thing anyone's ever said in a horror movie. It was so good. They got the radio broadcaster on there who's like just speaking everything that you can see in the scene. It's like. Well, the the killer was headed on Route 66, headed to Corman University, and like... And then they cut out that pan right to the thing there. I'm like, it might as well have said, like, be on alert, Pam and Johnny. Like, lightning flashes, and she looks and sees the sign, like, Corman University. Ah! Plot sign. To convince Johnny to come back to the car, she says... I'll even let you fondle my breast. Very funny. So, Johnny finds what he's looking for. Yeah, he finds a little canister, and in the first of... Many times, Johnny pops a quick little snack, a little, a little, <laughs> little brain slug pops right into his mouth, just right down the gullet. And I call that a, that's a creep cute. It's the first time we see the creeps. Oh, and that's Night of the Creeps. Nice. Yes. Congrats. It almost felt like the Punisher movie where they put that gun too far down each other's throats, like multiple yeah. times. That like was visceral. Well, that takes me right to what would be the porn parody of Night okay. of the Creeps. And I call it Night of the Peeps. Oh, oh, right. And there are still things that an alien is making float right into someone's mouth. So would the experiment have been like a bag of flying dicks? Please edit that. Yes. The bot auto beeps those kind of things for you guys, apparently, not me. He's he's got an axe to grind. He never he never helps me out. It's my favorite of our bits. (laughs) He's going to beep out you saying help. (laughs) 
That is, I think it is pretty good. I'm the only one that does all the cusses. I curse sometimes. I just didn't like the, the sexual stuff that I say sometimes. Beep that, please. No, that's the tag. Dave, I, that's the beginning of the episode. Dave doesn't like sexual stuff is the headline. Before we finish out this sequence, I want to say at the very beginning when they're in sorority row, there's a girl who is um, brushing her hair. And I, I saw this little bit of trivia that apparently Fred Decker asked that girl out on a date and um, she said no. <laughs> Good on him for leaving her in the movie. Which is not a great anecdote. But I love that someone put that on IMDb. I think it's actually a pretty great anecdote because it means that had to be in the DVD commentary or something for anyone to know that. Like Mm -hmm. Fred Decker was willing to say like, oh, I asked that girl on a date. Yeah, she said no. (laughs) And that's kind of like, you know, cool. (laughs) Good for you, Fred. I think that's definitely worth putting in, especially in like today time. I asked her out. I definitely had a higher power than she did. I just moved on. While Pam is waiting, Johnny gets a slug in her throat. She gets... Oops, axe in your head. Axe murdered. Yes, the axe murderer gets her and is chopping her up real good and is interrupted by Detective Cameron, a.k.a. Tom Atkins' young version. Now we cut whoosh, 1980s. TP abounds. It's Technicolor again. TP everywhere, baby. Because that's how you know it's a college. Woo, we throw toilet paper. We meet the main inept boys. Yes, Mm -hmm. our two ineffectual, emasculated main characters (laughs) jc and chris the betas if you will oh shit that's funny see because it's rush week that's pretty funny and he says spring is in the air a couple of bitching guys on the prowl for major league (laughs) Bay. let's get this out of the way right right off the front there's two guys the main character guy chris who you may recognize as one of the many rusty griswolds Yes, Rusty Griswold. They transform every few movies like a Doctor Who. <laughs> but just the kids. <laughs> just the kids. Juliet Lewis at one point in time, I believe, for the Christmas mm-hmm. one. Anthony yeah. Michael Hall for the first one. This guy is your Anthony Michael Hall dime store. I honestly thought that Anthony Michael Hall was in this movie, but it's Jason Lively. He's the European vacation, which I've never seen. Full disclosure. It's okay. It's Th- that's the second one, I believe. Ethan Embry is the Vegas one. He plays Rusty in that one. Uh huh. I know he has like an alias that's Nick Papa Giorgio, and I always laughed at that. Nick, Nick Papa Giorgio. Yeah, he's that like movie a fake is idea. not great, but the Nick Papa Giorgio segment is amazing. Pretty solid. Yeah, the movie's not worth it for that. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Bad movie. Nick Papa Giorgio. Very good. You may remember him as the guy who played the guy who played Nick Papa Giorgio in one of the National Lampoon movies. Yes, Jason Lively and Steve Marshall. Steve Marshall plays JC. And let's just say, JC, man, he's doing some work. Very funny. He's doing some work. Legitimately funny. Like, I get some genuine laughs out of his lines. His character saved the movie altogether for me. Him and Chris, both great. The JC character, his energy is so good that he carries a lot of these scenes that kind of elevates the rest of the movie because Mm -hmm. he's genuinely funny. He's got good timing. He's the only one, I think out of the younger people that really understands how to be on screen, if that makes sense. JC does have like a disability. He's walking with crutches. I don't know what it is. Some unnamed disability. Something. Appears to be something of a muscular dystrophy, perhaps, or something along those lines. Yeah. He has trouble walking. So yeah, he has the double arm crutches. Mm -hmm. But he's well aware of his condition. He's very comfortable and he, he makes jokes about it and things like that to put people off guard. JC, he's a king. So Chris, he's still going through some stuff, 
but he has a magical moment where he sees Jill Whitlow, Cynthia Cronenberg in the character here from a distance. And he kind of has this fall in love moment. And he's kind of a weenie for a lot of the movie. He comes up with a plan that says if they join a frat, then Cynthia will like him because she's like hanging out with frat guys. Mm -hmm. JC's like, I was thinking more along the lines of talking to her. And he's like, "Uh, so naive. Meanwhile, I think JC, this is a wingman of the century because honestly, I think Cynthia would have been very happy to get with JC. I think so too. He put himself down a lot, but I think he could have got there. He has that confidence. He's got the confidence. That's the key. You young, dirty nerdies, you just got to have confidence. Just be yourself. He's got a very strong image of himself. He's not trying to be anybody else. He's just JC. But you do have to be willing to put yourself out there. That's true. (laughs) Yes. If just being yourself is like, well, myself is really shy. That can't be the part of yourself that you be. (laughs) Yeah, you got to let the rest of yourself get out there. (laughs) This has been advice tips. That's the wrong part. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We are all nerdy guys, yes. but you know, like you can't live a nerdy life all the time. Sometimes you got to step out of your comfort zone a little bit, you know? Sometimes you got to stand up and tell the world, thrill me. I think this is why we all like JC though, because we're all nerdy guys who knew how to like take ownership of who we were. Speak for yourself. I still have yet to do that. I'm not taking any of the advice I'm giving, or I never had. I think I disagree with you, Sam. I think you're you're beating yourself up right now. Hey, you know, maybe I join a frat. Maybe I'll maybe I'll agree with you. Maybe that's what I need. JC goes to wingman and then like a football player goes to make fun of him and he goes, oh, there was a call for you. What's your name? Steve? Yeah, there was a call for you. He comes back and he goes, that wasn't funny. And he goes about as funny as a crutch. And I'm like, that's not a saying, JC. Is it? That's one of the things JC does is he puts it out on Front Street doing the Eminem eight mile thing, like putting everything that you could possibly use to make fun of me. The fact that I'm on cr- and crutches. Okay. All right. So he was disarming him before he could get there. Okay. I believe that is a phrase. It's just not used. I had never heard it. It's coming up on the internet. I looked it up. Idioms. It's an idiom. Came from uh, happy days, which meant not funny at all. Wow. Today I learned. This has been Idiom Corner on the Nerdoplexy podcast. We cut two. They're getting hazed, and their hazing prank is they got to steal a body and dump it on the steps of a rival fraternity. I really like how they get to this body. I don't know what happened. I guess because they, they were getting shook down by the betas, like the cool guy frat. And I, I don't know. I must have blanked something out because we cut to like these kids sneaking into a morgue. And I was like, okay, yeah. What the, did I miss something? What? How do we? Campus morgue. The campus morgue. No, I think it was like med school. It's like they did tests on cadavers. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. They could have a medical school there. Then that guy just like puts in most of the code and it doesn't time out, which made me upset. Yeah, it was the 80s. They didn't really have that. That's true. But yeah, so he forgets the last number and uh, he goes to call somebody to get it. And they happen upon this door just in time. And JC just presses zero. And luckily, that was the last number. It opens up. And then we see a Zordon tube with Johnny in it. Yes, Johnny's being preserved. So they're going to steal this body. They understand that he's being cryogenically frozen. They understand that he's from the 50s. They find out all this fucking information. And they're still like, well, I mean, here's a dead body. Let's steal this fucker. And they just start pushing buttons. That's so wild to me. I do love the button that frees the body is a giant red comically big button. The emergency button that you hit. And then this fucking guy just falls out of his tube. So, yeah, they let the guy out. And as they're trying to steal this dead body... 
he does a twitch and they scream like a couple of banshees and run away. Screaming like banshees? And then the science dudes comes in and gets a whole big old mouthful of slug. This is where we meet Tom Atkins and he's getting called to the scene of the crime. He has is having a nightmare about whenever he uh-huh. saw what was left of Pam in her car on the street, in the car, or whatever. Later on, he says what happens from all that. But in the nightmare itself, he sees the axe murderer actually committing the crime. And the axe murderer turns around and he's just a skeleton man, which is nice and creepy. So then he gets a call that wakes him up and he says, Thrill me. And that's the first of five thrill me's in the movie that he says. Mm-hmm. And I think six total thrill me's. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Detective, thrill me. <laughs> yes. There's also a cool monologue here from JC to Chris because Chris has been a whiny bitch. And JC uh, multiple times tells him, like, no, actually, you know what? Fuck you, because you're an asshole. And I thought that whole little monologue was great. This is what I was going to bring up, where JC said, I'm never going to get laid, because I don't know if he like, can't because of his disability. So I'm trying to wingman you. I just want everything to be happy. And then he goes, it's hilarious, because if you, if you take it seriously, you just get depressed all the time, like you are. So fuck you. I really like that. He's very deep, and we come to find that he's even much deeper than that later on. Tom Atkins shows up to the scene of the crime. The second of his many quips. Uh-huh. Um, earlier, this whenever JC and Chris spot Cynthia, Chris says, who's that? And uh, JC goes, I think that's the Morton Salt girl. How the hell should I know? So they like that joke a lot, so much so that they make the detective do that in this scene whenever he's saying, like, who's the dead body? And, and he says, oh, Walt Disney. How the hell should I know? Tom Atkins says, what is this, a homicide or a bad B movie? I mean, yeah. Yes, it is. Tons of good lines here. One of my favorites that are missing a corpse, and he says, Corpses that have been dead for 27 years do not get up and go for a walk by themselves. Smash cut. A corpse going for a walk. Yeah. Which is the same as we can't let this experiment get off the ship, and then smash cut. It's off the ship. (laughs) Shooting into space. (laughs) He wastes no seconds. Why did the scientists need to get into that room? It didn't seem like there's a whole lot of upkeep on Johnny's preserved body that needed to be done. He could have been doing tests. He could have been putting stuff into the tube. It explains why he forgets the four-digit code, because he probably isn't there all the time, but just happened to be this day was, like, inventory. It makes sense. People forget passwords Mm -hmm. all the time. The idea that this guy working in a top-secret lab would forget his password is so believable Mm -hmm. to me, that he would have to, like, call somebody else and be like, Marilyn, what's the last digit of that thing? Look at my folders. That's incredibly believable. Maybe he's just, like, making sure that it still froze and no one hit the giant, easily pushable button. The one button without a key that the big need to be turned afterward. Like you slip and fall, you're hitting that button by accident. Yeah. Yeah. You drop your drink, you're hitting that button. <laughs> the janitor's going to hit that button at least twice. And then scream like a banshee. Screaming like banshees. <laughs> so that's when we, he has his nightmare and then he does his throw me and he answers the phone and he says... Uh, Detective Cameron and he says no Bozo the Clown and then later and then later on it's Detective Cameron and he says no Bullwinkle Moose so he's the best he couldn't just answer straight no he's being a gigantic when he gets to the scene of the crime he's like why'd you call me and I woke up from a pleasant dream to come here and actually his pleasant dream was like a horrible nightmare that's the thing that'll come back a little bit later at the end there too his kind of casual dystopian view of the world He's disappointed, too, at this time because there's not two bodies. 
and uh, <laughs> the the guys that he's talking to about what, you know why did you say there's two bodies if there's only one body kind of thing and he says are you gonna straighten it out Ramy or am I gonna play poop patrol with your nightstick so I just want to get that out then proceed also the coroner was eating over the dead body and that is a trope they, that, I'm still hungry whether this guy's dead or not. Well, that guy, I don't know if he gets killed, but he deserves to be. I think he makes it. That coroner is a really bad person. Yeah, he's the worst. Save that for your villain. This is when we smash cut to the corpse and his walk-in. And he's walking down sorority row. And did you guys notice, did this corpse not have a ding-dong? No ding-dong. He looked certainly ding-dongless. Part of the freezing process. Flat like a Ken doll. I don't know if they put him in, like, really tan underwear. Maybe. Why would they do that, though? I don't know. <laughs> I think it froze off. Here's a fun extra fact. They needed streakers. I didn't do it at the time, but they had streakers on one of the movies I was an extra for, and they gave them what they call, quote-unquote, cock socks, and it's like a piece of pantyhose that you put your business in, and then you wrap it, you tuck it down and under, so it just kind of tucks all your business down and around, so it's out of kind of out of sight. I should have waited for this as the night of the peeps. In like sex scenes, the guys will wear a thing like that or like a jockstrap thing. So when you're thrusting, it's just they're just like, like bumping pelvises, bumping pubis. Yeah. So he definitely didn't have a night records. He definitely didn't have a. Do you think they meant to like crop him out, like have a different part of like a different part of the scene showing, or was that a choice? I think he signed he signed the script saying I'll only do this if you CG in a much bigger thing and they just like ran out of money at the end. Right, they ran the, the funding wasn't available, the technology didn't exist. They're like sorry, the wiener budget is, you know, had to be cut first, so to speak. Phallus fabrication budget got slashed. I'm sorry. Circumcised from the budget. It, so it basically, it's like that thing from Arrested Development is what he's wearing. The never, he's like a never nude. Is that exactly what it sounds like? There are dozens of us. Dozens! I like that answer best of all. He's a never nude, and that's what he died in. So we see, and it's Johnny, and he's reenacting his last days as a person. So he heads back to what he believes is Pam's room and know what's what. It's Cynthia's room because she is the president of her sorority. Delta Sigma Kappa? Delta Burke. <laughs> I don't think that's what it was. So here's here's where I think. So Cynthia is the president, and I think her character, because the way she's playing it is not as a president, it seems like her character would have been better served as like the girl studying who like has the jump scare with the cat. If she was lower status, I think her character would have worked a little bit better for me because she's not acting like extremely confident. She gets confident, and that's her arc through the movie. She like gains this confidence, but it's surprising to me that someone who's the president would not be like extremely confident in their own abilities. Do you think it being Pledge Week is why no one noticed there was just a butt-ass naked dude walking on Front Street? I think so. Honestly, yeah, that's absolutely correct. I agree. She did not feel like the head of a sorority to me. She kind of felt like a pledge. Yeah. And I think that maybe her arc would have been a little bit better there. But not to say that she doesn't do a very good job in here, but I don't really buy her as a prez, which they call her multiple times. Mm -hmm. Prez! (laughs) Okay, so maybe she's the president of something else. The president of studies for the sorority. The president of meekness. (laughs) Yes, there you go. 
But she's in her room and she hears a little tip, tip, tippy, tappy, and it's rocks on her window. And whoops, it ups. It's your boy. It's Johnny. And his head explodes and a bunch of slugs come out and they go running everywhere. So, did it start off as one slug into Johnny and then they hatched more slugs in his brain? Well, maybe that was the only one that took. Maybe there were more initial slugs and then they just didn't bond to a host, but I don't know. A few points of order. When Cynthia gets out of Brad's car, we get to zoom in on the Bradster license plate, which is great. It says it ain't easy being perfect. <laughs> There's the brain storage scene. She's at the bottom of the steps and this girl comes in with a bunch of brains for her class. And she's like, do you mind if I store these brains like in the basement? Like, oh, yes. I called those Schrodinger's brains. And I thought it was super clever. They don't they don't show you the brains because I, I don't think they had that many props. They just have no. a box and you could see the top of a jar and you just assume brains. The, some of the shortcuts that they had to take, I liked a lot. And that was one of them. There's some fun stuff going on here in the sorority. There's like we said that there's the cat jump scare. Gordon. I really like that when Johnny, before his head exploded, zombie Johnny brought Pam a flower and then his head blew up. I thought that was a nice little touch. So that kind of all resolves. It's crazy. He blows his slug load all over Cynthia's front porch. Oh, see, that's nastier than anything I ever said. (laughs) It's 100% exactly what happened. And if if it's dirty to you, Sam, it's because your mind is dirty. It's what actually happened. For what you said to be true. Maybe whenever the brain slug gets in you, it turns you into the instrument of expulsion. And then you're basically just a walking or walking stiff. His head splits open and he falls on the thing. Bifurcates. Yep. And then they call the cops and then they come and take the body. All this. It's the next morning because JC and Chris ran all the way home from the morgue because they found the body. Oh, they screamed. They run home. They get harassed the next morning by the frat bros because they were like, yo, you weren't supposed to put it on my girlfriend's sorority steps. (laughs) So the Bradster spills the beans that he put these guys up to it. And then what did you guys think of Cynthia flicking the Bradster off? To applause? To applause. I loved it. The Bradster kicks out the crutch, and that's why she flicks him off. You're talking about JC's good joke? It's all Greek to me. It was a very good joke. Because he's like, but we said the Phi Omega Gamma House, not the Kappa Delta Sorority. Do you know the difference? It's all Greek to me. <clears throat> and it is all Greek. But um bump So... But kicking a crutch is pretty fucked up, even for an 80s bully. Before he says that, though, he says, sorry, dorks, don't take it personal. That's pretty good. (laughs) Arguably one of the most personal things he could do is like, don't take it personal, and then kicks the literal crutch out from under the kid. And then that's why, yeah, Cynthia's like, you know what? I'm done with the Bradster. And she flips in the bird with that, uh, with the, what do you call it? Like the wind up toy flip off. And they all clapped. I thought that moment was a little awk. She might as well have done like the middle finger out down. Can you hear this? You want me to turn it up? You know, like a volume knob. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. You know, there's a lot of middle finger jokes. I think she should have just flicked him off. I agree. Unfortunately for Cynthia, in my opinion, there had to have been a million red flags before this transgression. <laughs> yeah, this cannot be the first time the Bradster has done some shit like this. And we found out that she was a psych major, so she had to be looking into this guy. There's a scene right after that where they're like, he's they're reintroducing Cynthia to Chris, et cetera, because they never really actually met. And the last name, director names are so fast and furious. This is uh, Cynthia Cronenberg. 
And we're, uh... Christopher Romero and James Carpenter Hooper. Blanders. Homicide. Back to back to back to back. <laughs> JC and Chris get picked up by Detective Cameron. And there's a great little interrogation here. Talking about some collegiate tomfoolery. And JC says, I personally would rather have my brains invaded by creatures from space than pledge a fraternity. So. Spoiler. He did get he one. He do. He get one of them. And then I was counting the amount of thrill me's and spankies. At this point, I think there was a, a fourth thrill me. I think there were five spankies in short order. Because he said basically they're like the uh, little rascals. Because he calls them alfalfa. The other one alfalfa. It's pretty fun interrogation scene i really like the the chemistry between tom atkins and jc here again jc lifted tom atkins who is the worst (laughs) get out of here there's an interstitial where we see that gordon the cat is like totally effed up he's done been brain slugged slugs get that cat big time and this is where they spend all their money if you ask me was the effect on the animal faces they were really good i love the way that this girl reacted to the cat too because it's really like that meme from like Reefer Madness where the guy goes, whoa. She gives this cat a back and forth kind of motion trying to figure out what's wrong with his face, but it's that he doesn't have a face anymore. She doesn't get slugged up though. No, I don't know how she doesn't get slugged there. She does get slugged later. I think that's the girl who does get slugged, the only girl. And the slugs take different amounts of time. There's one instance of that. Mostly it's instant. The reason why I gave the interstitial is because they do get back to the grilling. And this is where Tom Atkins has this whole thing where he tells Chris what he did to that axe murderer that killed Pam. Your high school sweetheart went on with her life. I got hacked up by a nutcase with an axe. But that's not the fun part. The fun part's what happened next. What happened next? Guess. The police found him? Close. I found him. It wasn't what you call your routine police work either. What would you call it? Revenge. You see, I tracked him during my off hours. By yourself? Oh, no, 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 no. I took my 12-gauge with me. I tracked him and I found him. And when I found him, I leveled off that shotgun right at his chest. Spanky, guess what happened next? Should you be telling me this? Close. I pulled the trigger. That's all real exciting and everything, but listen, I've got a midterm. I wrapped his body in a plastic bag. I buried him in a vacant lot. The lot right behind your girlfriend's sorority. Of course, it isn't a vacant lot anymore. Now the house mother's cottage is sitting right on top of it. And they're drinking scotch at this moment. Yes, but my favorite, favorite, favorite line, the funniest line. Chris, this. Chris says. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Look, detective, now I don't mean to be rude or anything, but other than just kind of wanting to confess to a murder, is there a point to this story? (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. Yeah, I think that's the best goof. I think that is the best laugh of the whole thing. He buried him with his axe. Which I thought was most interesting. Yeah, that was nice of him. He should come back. He got something. Well, I guess it's all evidence and you just want to get rid of all of it. Now, that's the best effect also in the movie is the zombie serial killer guy. Yet again, a great sequence. He busts up through the floor. It's very spooky. The school mom was watching Plan 9 from outer space. Wonderful callback. The coroner finds out that the zombie axe murderer killed the 
sorority mom or whatever she's called. Headmistress, what have you. Uh-huh. And he said, We used a different stretcher for every piece. We'd be here all night. While he's eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think bed... You don't have, like, bedside manner for a coroner. I think they gotta be as nasty as possible. That was like a running gun. He didn't need to do that. He could have gone, oh, man, it was terrible. And that would have been fine. Yeah, but he's seen some things, this guy, obviously. <laughs> and he's, he's very desensitized. That is grim. Why would you use a stretcher at all if it's in pieces? I don't know. It's easier to carry. So it's a tool they all have. Before the lady gets caught, Cynthia pays Chris a visit to talk about the whole zombie cat of it all. And then invites him to a formal dance the next day. That didn't make sense to me either. You got to get him in prom dresses and stuff. This is the worst of Chris because Chris doesn't believe any of this nonsense. He thinks that Cynthia is absolutely nuts at this point. But he's like, score. She's crazy, but she wants me to go to the formal and I'm cool with that. Not his finest moment. You saying that Decker was trying to put all those tropes in and I'm thinking back on it. In that scene when JC says, I'll be right back. And they like, zoom in on his face. Yeah. Ultimate wingman, he knows when it's time to bail. So he bails. He says he has to go to the bathroom. I thought that was a bit, but he obviously really had to go to a bathroom. Mm-hmm. And inside that bathroom, there's some good graffiti. One of the things says, go Monster Squad. Yeah. Which will be the next movie we do. Also Fred Decker. For that second half of our Double Decker Spook Witch. No, that's bad. Sam Hainwich. I got nothing. Double Decker <laughs> movie extravaganza to Fred Decker's Monster Squad up next. Dig it. Okay. Yeah. Dig it like the hole that Detective Cameron dumped this fucking body in. And there's also some other good ones that say Straper rules and stuff. He was writing Humpty Dumpty was pushed, which I really liked. So JC is trapped. The janitor got a mouthful of slugs. And the janitor comes into the bathroom and dies. And these slugs are going nuts in here. And JC's on the toilet and he's trying to avoid them. It's like a reverse dream catcher situation. I don't like this at all. This is turning into a double fuckero. A real Jalanaba. We should have done dream catcher. But in this case, he's not trying to reach for his bloody toothpick. He's trying to reach for matches for some reason. For one singular match. He saw one singular match in a pack. And I'm thinking, is he trying to conceal the smell of his farts from the aliens? But no, he's going to light this match and with expert timing, use the, the lit matchbook to burn up a slug. In the detective's way, not five minutes later, they're chasing after the guy from the basement. And he says, I already killed you once in front of all those other cops. They corner the dude, and then I have him with exclamations. But he's just bones. <laughs> I was really enjoying myself. The thing that makes me wonder about that is that in 30-some years, I would think the brain deteriorated to a point where the brain slugs could no longer latch on and make the body do anything. It's all a question of, like, zombification and central nervous system no longer being intact and all these other things, but... Unless they just needed a warm head to hatch in. Maybe the slug is only one part of their larval process. Maybe there's a different kind of creature that gets in the nervous system. I don't know. Maybe it was just controlling the spine. Everybody's getting ready. It's time for the big formal dance. I love the jump cuts in this scene because there's like 
the shower scene, then the guy getting ready and he finds a recorder, and then the other shower scene, then he starts to listen to the recorder. My dude was not worried one fucking bit before this moment, before he finds that tape. He also didn't believe that the brain slugs were real. To Dave's point prior, there's only one instance where this brain slug moves pretty slow to uh, actually complete the job, and we don't actually see it. We get it in a tape recording where JC actually... Oddly touching recording. Chris, there's one inside me. It got in through my mouth. I can feel it. It's in my brain. I don't have a pulse or a heartbeat. I think I'm dead. super well done this was really moving this was like dude that i love you that got me that like choked me up there's really cool stuff that they didn't show like he was like i walked like i didn't need the help of my crutches like completely not really a necessary point and then they threw that away though later on after the bus accident because there was a zombie who was crawling well i don't think that guy had legs maybe you're right maybe you didn't he had one. I think it was, honestly, it looked like maybe an amputee. Yeah, so JC having legs, the brain slug made them functional. Well, the brains can make them bones, them bones, them dry bones walk around, so. So here's my theory. The slugs having to work extra hard to make the muscles work in JC's body was why they were slower to fully encompass his whole body and make him zombified. I think he was fighting them too because he was aware of what was going on. He like figured it out. He's like actively trying to do the thing. Okay, I like that. They were trying to make all of the synapses fire to make his body go. So he was able to get himself into a boiler room because he knew from the fire that he could kill these things. The best line of the tape, it seems, it seems fire will kill them. (laughs) I was sincerely hoping that Chris would get to the basement and JC would be there and like the brain slugs would be like as they were melting on the floor like, hey, we I solved this thing, man. And then he could be in the rest of the movie, but it was not air to be. He blows his slug load, unfortunately, but the slugs do die. Yes, he does. Yes. But like you don't normally see like handicapped people die in movies. They usually like find a way to make them make it through. And I was I was shocked yeah. the first time I saw this that he didn't make it. I think it's the best narrative beat though. No, I agree. It made sense. 
And he did have some youthfulness to him, so you probably did appreciate that he died. He's the exception to Dave's role. Uh, I see. Alas, poor JC. I knew him, Chris. A bunch of youths are going to die and be resurrected very soon. It makes up for it. These youths, you say, but they're all like 45-year-olds playing frat boys. That's true. They got these dudes with these big old mutton chops and mustaches, and they're old. Beer belly and like the. <laughs> to be fair, 80s style makes everybody look like they're 45 years old. You're probably right. That is certainly true. But one of those guys definitely had a mortgage. That's for sure. Well, I know one of those zombies, fun fact time, was Greg Nicotero, who, as we mentioned on the last episode, worked on In the Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. He worked under the tutelage of Tom Savini and did The Walking Dead. So there's your zombie tie-in to other episode of the month. These frat boy zombies are the best out of all the zombies. I think they weren't great extras or great frat boys, but as zombies, they were the best zombies. The guy in the beginning with the unibrow, he already was basically a zombie. Yeah, I love that guy. That guy is great, Steve. It took nothing for those brain slugs. What would have been great if they had like a throwaway gag where like the brain slug went in and then back out like nothing there for me. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been good. This movie is it's great. It's, it's nice and tight. It, it's very economical. Lots of things set up. Lots are knocked down. A little zombie dog, which is good. Brad scarfs a slug, which brings up another great line. The Bradster sees a slug on the ground and then there's a dog by him. He turns the dog and he says, hey, dog. Did you see that thing? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> as if as if to actually <laughs> hope that the dog could give him his answer. But while he's staring at the dog, the dog do spit a slug right into his mouth. And then here's where the bus accident happens. And the dummy work on the bus accident was awful. It was very clearly the bus driver was a dummy. The dummy they made of the bus driver is ludicrous. <laughs> you need to go back and watch it if you didn't notice it. It's a hard cut. Dave, I need you to post the screenshot. It's at about 110. The Sunday this episode comes out, I need you to find the screenshot, post that, because people need to see that dude. I paused it, and I was like, the people need to see this. That will be my post for this one. It looks insane. It's shocking when it happens. And it's absolutely unnecessary. Ridiculous. There's no reason. So easily let the bus crash without ever seeing the bus driver reaction carved out of clay. Uh, Before that... Tom Atkins, Ray Cameron, he's attempting a suicide. Oh my goodness, this is a great scene. He's got his door all taped up. He's got his gas stove on and open, Mm -hmm. which struck me, and I don't know, I I may be completely wrong here, but it seems like a kind of maybe a more relaxing way for... That's a painless way to go, yeah. What I would have considered to be the most aggro dude maybe ever. So I'm surprised he didn't just blow his brains out. I think I know why, because narratively, it's better because you see him, he's listening to music, he's drinking like whiskey or whatever, and he hears somebody's pounding on the door and he knows it's spanky. And he goes down and the door is all taped up. So in my mind, initially, I thought he taped it up so the slugs couldn't get in. But then he goes back up and he says, all right, hold on, I got to grab my stuff. And he goes back up and then turns the oven off, which that was like an amazing scene I thought that was like, like, whoa, when he like turns the oven off. Yeah, it was very subtle. While we were watching that, he's sitting on the couch. I was thinking to myself, is he about to shoot himself? Because that's what I thought as well. But it's really 
undercut by this is when the zombie dog infects the dead betas. Mm-hmm. You have this moving moment and then smash cut. A puppet dog is barfing slugs <laughs> into a bus. Oh, man. That's a great punk band name. The barfing dog? No, the puppet dog barfing slugs into a bus. Yeah. No need to shorten that. You're right. I think the reason why he wanted to use the carbon monoxide way to go was because when he was sleeping, he always dreams of his ex-girlfriend. So I think he was trying to to go out like that. But he also dreams of his ex-girlfriend getting slashed. I think he was listening to the old music and he was drinking. I think he was trying to set the mood where he would go into a good dream before he went out. I didn't think about this guy. Stop it. Why did you say it then? <laughs> I you just, have to. I just, that was the idea that I had. But then we have a really cool flamethrower acquisition scene. Why does this small town have a flamethrower? That's the funny thing. Well, the fact that that's not the strange part of the request. The, the strange part is that he doesn't have this form. Not that <laughs> there is a fucking flamethrower. He doesn't have the proper flamethrower requisition form. He even makes that great joke where he's like, <laughs> like he's not even sure why they have it. Who was the night guard? Dick Miller. He looks like Robert De Niro, though, kind of. He just died two years ago. He's in Terminator as the pawn shop clerk. He's in The Burbs as the garbage man. He's in Gremlins as Mr. Futterman. Yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, that's what I know him from, Mr. Futterman. He's in The Howling as Walter Paisley. He's the guy in Gremlins who knows about the Gremlins from World War II, and then they get him. So that's what we're here for, getting all those good deets. And they bring up that the pilot light doesn't work very well. Yeah, once it goes out, it sure is a pain to get back going again. They acquire the flamethrower without the requisition by holding up the guy. Here's my thing. He's, like, behind the cage. If he just, like... Moved slightly? Chuck them keys in the other room, or, like, take a step to the left... Just, like, drop to the ground, and that dude can't can't turn the gun on you. Like, okay, I've got the keys. Shoot me. I'll never get in here, you idiot. Although, I think what he was doing is not necessarily threatening his life. He was giving him an out. Yeah, I think so, too. He was saying, a guy put a gun to me, so what am I supposed to do? Let him kill me? Plausible deniability. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback it, but he's like, if I point this gun at you, you have to give me the flamethrower. Don't care if I get in trouble, because I don't intend on making it out of this night. But I don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah, it was never his plan to begin with. Because they seem like good buds. They're like the best two actors in this whole thing, so. (laughs) We cut to the sorority. I don't know why I even wrote this down. The beta is coming to pick up their dates. This one girl, she keeps saying, I'm so sure. I'm so sure. Like, can you get the door? I'm so sure. Like, is it, was that like an 80s way of saying like, seriously? Like, I have to, you know what I mean? I didn't understand it. Gretchen. Stop trying to make I'm so sure happen. It's not going to happen. I don't know. I'm so sure it didn't happen. I didn't know if it was a saying, but before the dates show up, Zombie Brad shows up. And Zombie Brad is phenomenal. The dude clearly needed brain slugs because it chilled him out Mm -hmm. intensely. Oh, big time. He was a much better person as a zombie slug. Yeah. So he shows up to the door. Nobody pays any attention to the fact that he's a zombie, just that it's Brad. And the lady who keeps saying, I'm so sure, she says, like, Brad's here for you, Cynthia. And Cynthia goes out the door, like, oh, you know, I knew this was going to happen. The big breakup scene for me. She crouches down on the porch. Zombie Brad crouches down on the porch. He's the most chill of the creeps because he doesn't immediately shoot a slug out of his mouth. 
He's just trying to sit down as a zombie and understand what what, what went wrong. It's a post-mortem of their relationship, post-mortem. He was also, to your theory, Sam, that they have to repair damage, he was also completely wasted. True. Yeah, he was blitzed. So the slugs would be having to fight through the alcoholism of that all. Yes. So they're depressed because it's an alcohol depressant. So they're trying to feed off his stuff and his stuff's all messed up. But you missed my you missed my great joke. Oh, sorry. And it's that it was a, a relationship post-mortem. Oh, that is good because she was fully breaking up and giving all the reasons. Because he was dead and yeah. I like it. It was a good joke. So that was a good joke. So I also think <laughs> that this movie was written by bullied kids who wanted to get a chance to shoot Valise. That could be. Very soon after, Chris shows up and just starts lighting people on fire with no remorse. <laughs> you have to set these guys up as jerks, so even as zombies, you don't feel bad about setting them on fire and blowing their heads up. Right, you're not thinking, like, this is somebody's son that after 18 years, they sent away to school, tearfully. You know, and it's, you know, they're never going to get to, to see the, see their kids again. Not in the way they knew them. So. Just burned to a crisp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thanks. So Tom Atkins shows up, uh, and everybody shows up, actually. Tom Atkins, uh, Spanky. Oh, yeah. It's frat siege, baby. Frat siege. It's Miller time. <laughs> Before he starts killing people. But prior to that, there is a great reading from Tom Atkins. How you could dislike Tom Atkins at all in this movie is like mind-blowing. I don't know. Because he's got the... I don't know. I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Shit. That was the tagline of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? But it's, but it's incredible. I thought his reading was terrible. No. You might have been right about the line, but you're wrong about Tom Atkins. He's a treasure. He's super glib. Yeah, he is. He's just going to kill himself an hour ago. He cares very little about himself, and the situation is almost comical to him at this point. Here's what I'll say about his glibness and this, his way of like everything. Wow, fuck it. That's like a common thing that people like in like the military or like the police, everything becomes kind of like glib and stupid as like a defense mechanism. So it's just like Mm -hmm. when you're Mm -hmm. totally screwed, that's when you're joking the most because you have to because it's laugh or cry. Which is exactly what JC does his whole life. It's laugh or cry for him, so he knows to make the jokes, and he has a laugh with it. There you go. And I appreciate that. I think that's a fine way. Same thing with Cameron, because his whole ass brain's been broke since he's like, what, 19? Mm-hmm. Something like that. But yeah, every line reading here is, I think, pretty great. This is where the guy shows up and he says, It's Miller time. Yeah. And he starts busting caps. <laughs> I will give him that. It's Miller time was a good read. Doesn't make any sense. No. I think that's when he blows Brad's head off as he says it's Miller time. He blows somebody's head off, I, but may, perhaps Brad. Because Cynthia is like standing right there and he does like a quip. He's like, I just killed your boyfriend. It's Miller time, baby. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Because then <laughs> party's here. <laughs> Something like that. Outside, you've got Chris and Cynthia. Cynthia now armed with the flamethrower. Chris with the shotgun. Uh-huh. And he's he's popping caps and heads, and then she's burning slugs immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. To which I kind of wondered, except that it's it's kind of a cool thing to see the slugs come out and then get burned. Why you wouldn't just burn the people? I assume the slugs would get burned on the inside of the skull as well, just more steamed. Maybe just to be sure that you get the flame exposed to a, a bunch of slugs. 
My instinct was correct, though, because after a while, his gun jams, and she has to do that, and she pops ahead with the flamethrower, but that puts the pilot light out. I was giving Cynthia some slack earlier here, but once she's got this flamethrower, she's got some action yeah. star vibes here, giving good looks. She becomes Sigourney Weaver pretty quick. Yeah, she does a good job at that part, much better than at trying to be like a demure college gal. She really comes alive. She's really enjoying herself here, I think. Whenever his gun jams outside of the thing before that, they have to go into this like shack where they keep their gardening tools. It's just a little shed. And he's like, yeah, great idea, Cynthia. Here we are stuck. And uh, the one zombie's head pops in. Cynthia blows it up, puts the pilot light on the flamethrower. So flamethrower is more or less out of commission by this point. Mm-hmm. But they're able to still get out. And whenever Chris knocks the one wall down, He's got the lawnmower prepped and ready, and he says, Later, dude. And then runs the lawnmower. <laughs> that was pretty good. Did you ever see the movie Dead Alive? Maybe next year we'll do Dead Alive. It's a, it's a Peter Jackson horror movie, and there's a lawnmower scene where he literally picks up the lawnmower and he's killing all these zombies. That's pretty great. He thought he got rid of all of them, but then like 20 more come in, and he just... Uh, and he starts the lawnmower up while it's up in the air, and he's swinging it like it doesn't weigh anything. It's so good. And now we find out the brains are about to pay off. What's in your basement? Oh, yeah, and then he's like, Get out of the house. Cameron is inside of the house, and he he just blasts like 12 of these kids. I thought, Dave, if anything could endear him to you, I thought this would be it. That was nice. There is a Dave's thing coming up. He's wearing a super nice tux and he starts making out in front of a bunch of decaying corpses. Dave's thing. Oh. <laughs> a bunch of decaying teenagers. They just start making out. It was ridiculous. Chris goes to the basement where he knows there to be a bunch of brains. And these brain slugs, they like brains. Big or small, they got to have them. They get downstairs and they see Tom Atkins has his mouth duct taped. Uh-huh. To prevent slug exposure. And... He sees the kids and he's like, well, great. Now I got to take the duct tape off so that I can tell them that they should get the hell out of here. (laughs) And then he starts the slowest countdown. It's not just the slowest countdown. It is just completely out of time with itself, which is why it's so like crazy that Chris can go upstairs and continue his own half the countdown. He does a good job. That's perfect. They got the countdown right down to get out of the house. (laughs) It's a big old slug pile, by the way. That's a very small thing to to quibble over, but it is a really weird timed countdown. It's not seconds. It's a weird time, but when Chris is running out of the house and he's doing the countdown, it's it's pretty good. It's a pretty neat scene. Yeah, it's a good scene, but the countdown threw me off for a second. Uh, One of those slugs does try to get into Tom Atkins' mouth, and he catches him out of (laughs) midair. Right. He's like, don't you even think about it. Yeah, spoiler, they think about it a lot. They think about it a great deal. They think about it. They um they, they get them. The house explodes. Kaboom. It's all the slugs dud. There's this death and carnage. The building is exploding. All of their friends have just now died. Uh, Chris and Cynthia make out. Dave's thing. So out there. That is not what would be going through my mind in front of all those dead bodies. Yeah, well. So depending on the version you watch, too, the ending is slightly different from this point. Oh, interesting. There is the theatrical ending where right after they kiss, it goes down to their feet. You see the dog is still kicking. Cynthia leans down and is like, hey, boy. And then the last scene is 
the dog shooting out a slug and then credits roll. That's the theatrical cut. Oh, I didn't see that one. That's how I saw it the first time I saw it. So then there's the alternate cut where it is Detective Atkins is shambling out, burnt up from the basement. Mm -hmm. He's all melty and he's walking towards a cemetery and then he falls over his head pops up and the slugs go towards the cemetery. And the immediately after that, there's a big spotlight down onto the cemetery. And you see that the aliens have come back to pick up their experiment. Good bookend. They knew to look at the cemetery for it, too. That's the version I saw. And I thought it was pretty. When it panned over to the cemetery, I was like, oh, shit. The end, or is it? It was. You know, to be continued? No. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, no, only in our dreams, this movie didn't do very good at the box office. The reviews are pretty well. Rotten Tomatoes got a 75% and an audience score of 70. I'm shown here, and this is an estimated budget, that says it got 5 mil, but opened to, oh boy, $200,000. Oh, that's tough. Final domestic gross was 591000 so... Didn't quite make back what they're looking. Although I feel like five million might be a little high for this at this point. So maybe I'm getting that wrong, but it did not do well, but it did gain later a cult following as you do. There's no comic convergence in this one because this is not a comic movie per se, but we do have a segment we can get into. It's your favorite segment where we decide who's our favorite. Who's our least favorite? Who do we love? Who do we hate? Who's your hero? Who's your villain? Anybody want to go first? I'll go first because my hero is going to be everyone's hero. It's JC, the wisecracking friend who only wants people to be happy all the way until he burns himself to death in the basement. This guy was the hero of the movie. There's no question. He didn't make it to the end, but he's the reason why anyone survived. Yeah, Chris would have never made it without him. He was the one. He knew what he had to do, and... uh he made sure it got done. He had the wherewithal to record all of that. He's obviously the hero of this movie. The real hero is, as everyone knows, my hero, Tom Atkins, because he had some great line reads. He had some quips. He was a young fledgling cop at the very beginning who had to see his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, very recently ex-girlfriend. He didn't even know ex-girlfriend at the time until he saw his ex-girlfriend with Johnny at the makeout point to what have you. He didn't really know that it was over until then. And he had to see all of her body parts strewn about. And, you know, he never fully recovers from that. He continually has dreams where he's retired. He's wearing a suit. He's sitting in sand. He's drinking from a coconut. But that was not his (laughs) true destiny. His true destiny was to maintain his role in the police force. And he had a unfortunate deep, dark secret, but he was able to find revenge against that axe murderer but secret he told like 20 people it was a deep dark secret until he kind of just wanted to confess a murder to spanky in the interrogation so whereas yeah that's kind of a tough pill to swallow i feel as though it was justified this dude chopped this lady up in a million pieces sometimes you just gotta have a little vigilante justice so hero anti-hero and he says thrill me a lot which is good Answers the phone as thrill me. I might start doing that. That might be what Sam does when you call him on the phone. Just thrill me. You know, don't <laughs> just tell, let's not have small talk. 
Tell me the big business you called me for. I mean, yeah, like, get to it. Thrill me, get to it. And then someone says, like, who is this guy? And I'm going to say, I don't know, is it the Goodyear blimp? You know, and I'm going to start picking up on some quips like that because those are cool. Very funny stuff. How, how do I know I'm not a mechanic, you know? It's the kind of energy you want to bring to the table. I get that. It's sarcastic, but nobody is the victim, you know? Just really just taking the piss out of it, you know? <laughs> uh, so that's why he's my hero. He's just the man. Tom Atkins is very good. I really liked his line readings. I really liked his character. It was bad, but it was, I think... He was being a trope of the grizzled detective, but the emotional scenes, he was doing okay. It was weird that he would do that exposition to this random boy, but... I think he was willing to give up that information armed with the knowledge that I'm very close to killing myself. So, like, just try and get me on this. (laughs) Well, also, I think maybe, like, a safety valve, too, because he knew that there might be... He saw one of them slugs going underground or whatever, and... There's a lady living on top of his murder victim. And here's what I don't understand. Why didn't he just say that he shot this guy? No one would have ever held it against him that he shot the axe murder guy. He could have called it in, right? Because I know he didn't get him in the moment. He could have easily said, I found him and he attacked me. He had the axe on him. He came at me with the axe. I had to shoot him. That's the easiest cut and dry case there is. So right now, like, this area has this unsolved mystery of them. <laughs> this axe murderer came, slashed up a bunch of people, and then disappeared. So now they have to live in fear of him just because this guy couldn't call it in. So, yeah, that's kind of rough, too. For no reason, he could have just fessed up. Here's my hero in all of this. He's quite unsung. Let me see. Um, let me pull up the actor who played him. But it is not a Tom Atkins character. It's the guy who is trying to keep Tom Atkins on his fucking point the whole time and failing miserably. Detective Landis, played by, I believe, Wally Taylor, is great. He is amazing at this. He just kind of keeps like showing up and is like, hey, uh, Cameron, maybe you better uh, cool it a little bit. Uh. But he's my hero. He's keeping... Cameron on the rails probably has been the only thing keeping Cameron alive all this time, just like showing up and like checking in on this guy. But I thought his line readings were equally great. Just saying the weirdest, most mundane, like summarization stuff. These guys are getting a hand in this weird copy and they're all just rolling with it at 100%. So yeah, Wally Taylor is my hero here. I guess I'm going to go ahead and steal villain in the first place, Chris. Chris is the villain. Chris is the ultimate villain of this movie. He does not look for his friend. He's trying to get with this girl. He thinks she's crazy and having a mental break. And he wants to use that situation to his advantage so he can hook up with this girl. I'm glad you got that same vibe from the situation and not like, what a windfall for Chris. <laughs> you know? And he also had like, from the very beginning of the movie was only bad reads. JC was like, just talk to her. And he's like, no, we got to join a frat. Like, that's a weird jump you just took. Well, Dave, if it didn't happen, the movie wouldn't have started. No, I know, but Chris had to be the villain. It was bad reads from the beginning. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, my villain was between Chris and that guy who forgot the number. Oh, yeah. Bumbling fool. Because he could have just closed the door and none of this would have happened. He could have hit the star key or whatever to cancel out his code so it didn't time out. Just closed the door. He's like, oh, shit, the alien guy's out. Close the door. There you go. On the heels of that, I'm going to take my villain. I already know what Dave's villain's going to be, even though he's wrong. I don't think you do. Oh. Oh, good. He may be right then. I may be crazy. 
and it just might be the lunatic he's looking for. Oh, well done. Uh, no, but my my villain is the research lab that, outside of a obvious murder scene, finds this Johnny boy, seemingly penisless, um, walking walking around like a zombie. <laughs> He's, and they froze him. And they were like, you know what? We don't know enough about why this guy's still alive, so we're going to f- just put him in this cryotube and just do research over the next 30-some-odd years before he obviously never was released, because if he was, he would... 27 years. 27 years. 20-plus years of... Um, yeah, don't make me math. I knew the math. I knew there was math there somewhere to be had. <laughs> this isn't Math Blaster. This is... I want you to, t- to know my feelings. Okay? I'm not a robot. But yeah, I think that they're very bad. They're very... There's obviously some kind of evil corporation or sinister government agency maybe sinister government agency finds this human body and is like you know what this is too important for us to let go so johnny's parents have to wonder where their boy is you know it's possible that the headmistress is johnny's mother who took the job there after he went missing to say like you know i'm gonna keep my eye out because she does creep around corners quite a great deal (laughs) so and she's watching movies from 1959 she's watching movies from the time whenever her johnny uh, went missing so she she does she does have a vibe to her and i think that um that that creates another side story and i like to do that i like to i like to create backstories for characters that don't otherwise have them did she even have a line i don't think she said anything maybe though i don't know she it wasn't memorable she talked to the dog the fact is whoever thought that johnny was was not to be brought to light that's the villain so my villain you guys thought it was going to be Tom Atkins, I assume, is what you thought I was going to do. That's what I thought. My villain is naked baby-like aliens. They are a nuisance. Really? And I don't think I should have to go into this any further. That was my third hero, those naked baby aliens. You know what, though? Yeah, and I, I'm, I am actually at odds with this one. They're a nuisance. So I'll say, I'll say they're incredibly cute. They're little scamps. Finding out that they were making brain slugs as an experiment makes them not okay. But that experiment just could have been to like bring back dead loved ones. They didn't know what it's going to do ultimately. You know, they're trying to, as everyone is, trying to find the formula for eternal life. Or maybe they're just studying brain slug. Even Jeff Bezos right now is working, it has his money behind some things for uh, anti-aging or de-aging. They're trying to say weird alien babies forever. They're not following the Prime Directive, even though they're in the Deep Space Nine vehicle. They found these slugs on a different planet, and they said, you know what? This slug brought back this animal that we killed to bring back to, to look at our things, and we have to figure out why that is. So they're probably the first ones who put them in, put something in a cryo tube. They love that slug lead. I don't know. They seem like space pirates with a little bit of science behind them. They are a nuisance. I will say that, I will say the fact that they're a little bit bumbling is what endears me to them the most. So their ability to somehow lose a mason jar sized slug thing out of out of their spaceship. Like, did they have it at an ejection point? No, there was one of the naked aliens had it and he was running with it. Oh, okay. That's entirely possible. It seemed like it was pretty easy for them to eject this thing. But they're so bumbling. It was too easy to eject it. They're a nuisance. That it took them 27 years to even pinpoint where those went. I can't believe I have to defend this. 
No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm not <laughs> saying that they're not villains, or at least the one that ejected it as a villain. Absolutely. Certainly. You can't disparage a whole race of aliens, Dave. To be fair to those cute little babies, they just shot that thing into the vastness of space. It is only circumstance that brought it directly to Earth. Yes. I mean, that's a one in a million shot. Right. I guess. I guess. It could have landed on Mars just as easily, and they would just be brain slugs living on Mars, and they'd never find a brain. They'd probably die. These naked baby aliens had brain slugs. They are a nuisance, and I'm, you know what? I'm against it. <laughs> I think we should build a wall around the Earth. Okay. Yeah, hashtag build the wall. You can, you can <laughs> at Dave for that. Please don't do that. I do feel like there may have been a mad scientist alien who was like, you know what? I found out there's a land with brains and we're going to see what these things do. <laughs> Let's see what these babies are capable of. This is the final phase. Let us know what you think those little babies were up to. All right. I don't think we could come to consensus on our own. We're going to need our dirty nerdies to help us solve the mysteries that is the night of the creeps. But... I think there is one mystery that we can solve. Is this movie spooky or spoopy? I think it's both, and I think it's great. It's good. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that, but I am gonna say just by very definition, it was made to be a comical B movie, something of a progenitor to your scream, which is a very scary movie in its own right. Would you say? Spoofy? I'd say spoofy. You can get me to say spoofy. I'd go with spoofy in this one. Uh-huh. It's spoofy. I think spoopy, though. I don't think that... There were no points where I... There were no jump scares for your boy Dave. Not Gordon the Cat. Didn't jump scare you. I didn't jump scare for Gordon the Cat. I thought he was cool. And, and, and the reaction from the sorority sister was too silly. Did you know that Tom Atkins is from Pittsburgh? No, really? Hell yeah. Striking distance, baby. Okay. I'm softening to Tom Atkins a little bit, but I still think he was the worst part of this movie. His father worked in a steel mill. That describes his tough-as-nails attitude. He went to Duquesne University. That being said, would you guys recommend this movie? Certainly. Definitely. I'm with you there. This is a lot of fun. I had a blast watching this. I laughed out loud. I screamed. There's some good kills. There's some great quips. If you've never seen it, be sure to seek this guy out and just buy it. It's a good one. It is a great flick. Tell us your favorite flick over at Nerdaplexy Pod on Twitter. That is helmed by our friend, the face of Dave himself, is Dave. Hit me up. Hashtag release the butthole cut. Oh, you're just you're just trying to say it's not hashtag build the wall around around the earth. It's definitely not hashtag build the wall, please. Let's not make that the hashtag that comes at me. I... <laughs> Dave's actually starting to sell his own line of hats. <laughs> well, that being said, please check us out at nerdaplexy.com. You can reach out to us as well if you'd like. If you prefer the email at nerdaplexy at gmail.com. Sam. Oh, I am uh I'm I'm burning up the web sphere right now, baby. I've got um I think we're all following me at uh PGH underscore SVH. Mm-hmm. Hit me up. 
wonderful. I'm at PGH underscore Reed. Please reach out. Let us know what you thought about this movie. Let us know what you'd like us to do for next Halloween. Have you seen this one? If not, are you going to? Um, We will be, the next movie we'll be watching with you is going to be uh, Monster Squad, I believe. Yep. For the poll on Twitter, Monster Squad is... That is number four. Is what we're going to be doing. Nine of 12. Recommend. Okay. (laughs) It's been a while since I've seen this one. I'm looking forward to diving back in, and we're looking forward to uh, recording the next episode with you out there. So, until then, um, I'd like to traditionally leave you with a thought to ponder. What what's 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 the alien race in this movie? What's their what's their business? You said Cloaca. Ah, never mind. That we already did that one because you said Cloaca about it. So we can't we can't. That's nothing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do you think they have three Cloacas like a shark? Sharks have two penises, by the way. We said three penises because there's three of us. Uh, and not to mention that's the mini, which is now uh, a month ago. It's a Cerberus. Yeah, there's we get our own ding dongs. Oh, way too long ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you know that Tom Atkins plays Captain Raimi in Escape from New York, which was directed by John Carpenter? Suck on that. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Great movie. But you got, but you got your Raimis, you got your Carpenters, and you got Tom Atkins. We can do a better one than that, though. Um, I don't know. Can we? Scary. Um, I was trying to think of slug stuff, but... Why didn't the slugs enter in any other orifice? I wish JC on the tape recorder was like, one of them is in me. It went in through my butt. It did go up his pants. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) I thought for sure it was going up in his butt. He's like, it went in my butt. (laughs) And that would have explained why it took longer to get to his brain. Yeah, exactly. Because it has to travel through the entire intestinal tract. Okay. The quickest way to a man's brain is his butt. (laughs) Just ask for permission first. Be brave, Fred Decker. Put put ding-dongs in Monster Squad. Let me see Wolfman's nards. You want to see that red rocket? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Whoa! Yeah, I assume it's very dog-like in nature. All right. Um, <laughs> it's a werewolf, so I mean, it's like a man-wolf, so maybe it depends if he's circumcised or not. That's really... Ah, uh, if he's had his werewolf bris. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> Does the moil need a silver blade? Yes. For a werewolf bris. It's like Wolverine. It keeps growing back. Yeah. <laughs>